Open our lips, O God, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. Koinonia and Corinth. Koinonia and Corinth. Hold those for just a moment. It's Trinity Sunday, and a tradition of Trinity Sunday is you get this new seminarian to come and preach and say, yeah, talk about the Trinity. Good luck, kid. But we didn't have anybody around, so here we were. But some have commented that Trinity Sunday is unique because instead of it being a feast day like so many others that are about a person or about an event of God, you know, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, um, the visitation of Mary by the angel, uh, Easter, Pentecost, this is a big feast day about a concept, a doctrine. I also want to say that's really not true because the Trinity isn't about a concept or a doctrine. It wasn't like, you know, one day these folks just didn't, you know, hey, Larry, I don't have anything going on this afternoon. You want to come up with a concept about God? Yeah, let's say yeah, I'll meet you at three for coffee. Let's do it. The Trinity is lived experience. It's something that folks pointed to kind of after the fact, like, you know, this is what we've been experiencing. When we look at what Paul is using as a salutation today, it's going to be centuries before the church starts having its counsels about who is God as creator, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit. That's hundreds of years down the road. Paul isn't thinking, I'm a Trinitarian. Paul's just referencing what people experience. The love of God, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Spirit. As the Franciscans remind us, the very first Bible is creation. Because you think about how long the planet and we have existed, and it's really only been 2,000 years or so that stories have been orally and then written about our experience as Jews, as Christians. So for all that time before then, it's the creation, it's the seasons, it's the geography, it's the interaction, interactions with plants and animals that tells people that the sacred is in their midst. And so Paul references the love of, of the creator and the creation and what it proclaims to us. And the grace of Jesus, the graciousness that we experienced in Jesus, in God visiting us in Jesus. And finally, the fellowship of the Spirit. And I want to focus on that fellowship of the Spirit. The word there is koinonia. A Greek word that means something to the effect of the emotional field that exists within you. The inherent connectedness of all human beings. The fellowship of the Spirit. We talked a few weeks ago about when Paul, I mean when Jesus was praying for the disciples and saying that they may be one as we are one and how that was descriptive, not proscriptive. And this is just one more example of saying, within all of us who exist, there is this emotional, spiritual, tangible field of relationship. It's something that scientists have figured out recently, that there are no individual particles in life that are just kind of out there randomly. All the particles have meaning because they're connected by fields, planets and stars and moons, Go home at Thanksgiving and see what you think about emotional fields. Yeah, some of you are laughing. Right, exactly. There's a field I just stepped into. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> because we all live right here this morning. All of us here are in relationship fields. And what Paul is saying is what koinonia is, is the very life of God 
that exists between all of us, that keeps us connected, where we live and move and have our being, as one of our collects says. You live in the koinonia of the Spirit, in this age of the Spirit. If Jesus was praying for the disciples, perhaps we could excuse that as seeing a little bit provincial, praying for this group. But when Pentecost comes, it blows out of the water any provincialism of fields of relationship. Because now people are saying, you know, we used to have to have translation, but now we're hearing in our own language, in our own experiences, who God is. And that's what Paul is referencing to, the koinonia of the Spirit in which we all inherently live. And like the very life of God, it's about mutuality, of giving and receiving, of offering one to each other, of receiving from each other, of recognizing that we have no life without each other. At best, we have a diminished facsimile of what life really is. The koinonia of the Spirit, mutually abiding, practiced, engaging, And if you were going to test the notion of koinonia, there would be no better city than Corinth. How many of you remember about Corinth from your Bible school days? A handful. See, there are some Baptists who have converted to Episcopalianism. (laughs) Thank you for bringing the stories with you that we can help. Corinth, a a little short history on Corinth. It's a very strategically located city. I mean, if you hear the phrase location, 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 Corinth exists, it's in the area of Greece. It's this little piece of land that sticks down from the mainland. It's it's on the west west side, you've got the Mediterranean. On the east side, you've got the Mediterranean. There's about a two-mile stretch, but then it just expands again, and there's this big, huge piece of land that it is the connecting point for. It's a port city because in those days, it was cheaper and safer to simply stop here from the east with a ship unload your goods, put them on the rollers, get them here and take them, or the same in the other direction, than going around the big piece of land because you had to run into currents and winds, and it was a very dangerous shipping area. And so Corinth had the great location. All the stuff from east and west going back and forth among itself. It had some other realities, too. Because of that location and that shipping reality, its economics were very diverse. There were people that made lots of money on the trades, and there were lots of people that didn't, who all lived there in that city area, that region. It was a very diverse, I mean, you could say almost diverse on steroids in terms of ethnicities, because there were a couple things that affected that. Rome being the city of gold in those days, I mean, if you think about Rome, it wasn't perfect, but if you think about the fact that their drinking water was as clean as ours is today, and they didn't use chlorine. And all that that represented, well, people from all around the regions, from Europe, from Asia, from North Africa, streaming to Rome for the opportunity it represented. And the Roman government wasn't real crazy about that, so what they would do is, is they would round up these extras, so to speak, and put them on ships and send them to Corinth. Kind of a relocation policy that the Roman government had, adding to the diversity. But they had something else they did. If you were a slave who had worked to get your freedom, a freed person as they called them, they too were put on ships and sent to Corinth. 
So it had a really interesting population. And one of the realities of that was also its religious life. Archaeologists have dug up at least about a dozen or so temples to different deities, Greek deities, Roman deities, Egyptian deities, Jewish houses of worship, all kinds of deities being worshipped in this place. Uh, someone asked me after nine, what city today would compare to Corinth? And I'm not sure. In terms of just the concentration of different kinds of people and different kinds of experience. And to that populace, Paul says, the fellowship of the Spirit. You live in the koinonia of God. Now something else that the Baptists who raised their hands will tell you about Corinth was it had a bad name uh, among the followers of Jesus and the, and the Christian churches. They weren't called Christians then. You know, you think of Galatia got one letter, Ephesus got one letter, Colossae got one letter, Corinth got two letters from Paul. It's like being on the principles list. And they're much longer letters, and there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of contention going on in Corinth that Paul is trying to wrestle with. You who are this koinonia of God. And one way to help understand why that city and why those followers of Jesus might have had a little more tension if you went to one of the other temples, generally what you would see is no women, certainly no children. You wouldn't see a lot of ethnic diversity because folks were kind of coming from an area and bringing their household gods, if you will, with them. The difference with the followers of Jesus, the house churches in Corinth, is when you went there, first of all, you would see women, you would see children, you would likely go to a house of someone of some significant means because they were the only ones who had rooms big enough to get everybody there. You would have meals served by slaves. Might be a little bit awkward. But at the same time, the slaves got to sit at the table. Talk about some paradox. And so you would see people who looked different, people who might have come from Roman area who had heard about Jesus or from Asia or North Africa. People didn't all look the same. There was probably some tension in the neighborhood about the kind of people economically that were showing up in the neighborhood who were coming to this church because there is this vast, we can tell in the letters, vast difference of the economics of the people who are there and part of the tensions that Paul addresses. You'd see people who were dressed to the nines, as they would say, with the fabrics and the baubles of all around the world. You'd see people whose upper bodies were marked with the tattoos, the brands of their former owners. A really different kind of attempt. A really different kind of fellowship than what most folks would find in their temples. And so, of course, there were some problems. Koinonia in Corinth. I mean, think about it here. Just think about it. If all of us decided for about seven days to stay here together, you know, we're kind of homogenous, but I'm guessing by day two or three we'd bump into some differences. And you take this and you expand it by all regions of that world, and you put all those folks, it's like a reality TV show. Stuff's going to happen. Because people are going to bump into each other. Corinth is where koinonia 
either happens or it doesn't. Because if koinonia can't take place in Corinth, then it's just a fantasy that it really exists. And Corinth shows us that it's not easy. Corinth shows us that koinonia, true understanding of mutuality, mutual respect, mutual life, will as often as not make us uncomfortable. Because we've got to make room for each other's stories, and we've got to make room for stories that are very different. And when the Mesopotamians and the Medes last week come and say, our experience has a validity, we're like, whoa, wait a minute. What if your experience challenges my experience? What if your understanding of deity challenges mine? What if your understanding of community challenges mine? What do we do with that? How do we live with that? We've got to listen to your stories of the sacred and experiences that we might not have had. And as I thought about this passage, one of the things that came to me is that in the church, we tend to lean towards the generous and gracious sides of God, and we aren't as regularly celebrating the difficult, challenging, distressing, disturbing sides of God. I mean, think about the church feast days again, the feast of the good shepherd. Man, I love that story. <laughs> Bring me that gentle Jesus. But when I looked on the calendar, I didn't ever see Sunday of the Disturbance. <laughs> disturbance Sunday, where we sing these hymns that just make us nuts. And listen to the parts of the Gospels that make us nuts and say, Jesus, just be quiet. Now, don't hear me putting down the comfort of God because if we don't have those passages about the consolation and comfort of God, we know that as a human species, we're lost. If we don't have a basic sense of love, a basic sense of belonging, a basic sense of care, then we just stop being mammals and get down with the lizards. So we've got to know the consolation and the love and the care of God and that God leaves 99 who are fine to get us when we screw up. But we don't have a lot of holidays that say, oh, this is where God really ticked them off. You know, we don't have those holidays when we process in the icon of what I call the Cheshire Cat Smile Jesus. <laughs> kind of going, yeah, you thought you knew what you thought you knew, didn't you? Yeah, you got to that parable and then I just said, Phew. Corinth is one of those places that tells us that koinonia is going to, as likely as not, have moments that are distressing, moments that are disturbing. When I think about the table of fellowship of Corinth, I think of questions like, if I showed up with all that cast of characters, who would I be likely to go sit towards? Who might I not go sit near? Whose stories would I really want to hear and, and whose might be distressing to me? And I told you in a sermon a few weeks, there are some people I at times avoid, not because I'm mature, but Corinth raises those issues. Whose stories and experiences stir us up? And their stories contain the key to our lives. I came that you might have life and might have it fully, Jesus says. Jesus says, I too was disturbed by the Spirit who drove me into the desert. I too was disturbed by the Spirit who brought that Samaritan woman to me and said, Sir, how dare you call me a dog? 
that spirit who drives us to these places that we have to walk through if we are really going to experience koinonia, the very life and relationship of God. It's not a coincidence, I think, that we get a reading about Corinth the day after Pentecost. And so I'm wondering as I think about the city of Asheville and Koinonia and Corinth, at whose tables might we need to go sit in Asheville if we really want to have the life of God present in this city and not just for some? Whose stories do we need to sit with in Asheville if we are to hear what the full life of God is? What things do we need to take the risk of letting disturb us so that like the Spirit driving Jesus in the desert, we too can be driven into uncomfortable places and find the very presence of God? If we as a country are to live out our, our meaning as a melting pot, Whose stories do we need to sit with and listen to and countenance? If we as a species are to learn and live koinonia, it will be as we live with Corinth. Koinonia, that emotional sphere of a mutual God. Koinonia, that place where relationships are giving, receiving, offering, Finding together mutual dignity. Koinonia is God's life. Corinth is where we find it.